It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 254, a quantum podcast that looks at news and views and culture and issues from throughout the world. Uh, let me ask you, are you okay? Some people in the UK were asked this this week. Here's Holly. Right, deep breath. Firstly, are you okay? I hope so. It feels very strange indeed sitting here without Phil. And I imagine that you might have been feeling a lot like I have. Shaken, troubled, let down, worried for the well-being of people on all sides of what's been going on and full of questions. You, me and all of us at this morning gave our love and support to someone who was not telling the truth, who acted in a way that they themselves felt that they had to resign from ITV and step down from a career that they loved. That is a lot to process. And it's equally hard to see the toll that it's taken on their own mental health. I think what unites us all now is a desire to heal for the health and well-being of everyone. I hope that as we start this new chapter and get back to a place of warmth and magic that this show holds for all of us, we can find strength in each other. And from my heart, can I just say thank you for all of your kind messages and thank you for being here this morning. Myself, Josie, Derma, Alison, Craig and every single person that works on this show will continue to work hard every single day to bring you the show that we love. So on that note, Josie... Now, why do I play that? Because it's indicative of where we're at as a culture in the Western world. We're a very therapeutic culture. I mean, the deep breath, are you okay? Does Holly really think that the people who are listening to her are so caught up in this that this is such a traumatic thing for them? Um, by the way, it was an absolutely brutal hatchet job on, on Philip Schofield. Um, we gave our love and support to someone who was not telling the truth. And then the smolts of with desire to heal, the place of warmth and magic, we find strength in each other from my heart. Now, all of this is actually, to me, very serious because it's how we feel, how we look at the word. Now, with the world. Now, Christina Merkitt on Unheard. Um, I'm going to quote this, actually, at length because I, I thought this was brilliant. Holly Willoughby wants to know, are you okay? Not about the cost of a living crisis or the massive counterattack in Ukraine or the pressure on mortgage, mortgages. No, Holly wants to know if you are feeling shaken, troubled, let down by someone who you gave your love and support, and if you feel a desire to heal and process. She is, of course, talking about Philip Schofield's resignation after he admitted to having an unwise but not illegal affair with a younger colleague. Her address on Monday morning was a sermon of smaltzy spin-doctor sorcery, 
dressed in an angelic white dress with glacial poise, Willoughby delivered empty, predictable platitudes with the infantilizing tone of a children's TV presenter having to explain a devastating natural disaster. I'm surprised she didn't ask everyone if they'd like to hug it out. The BBC described her as emotional, when in reality, she vacantly read from an auto-cued, PR-perfect script, like a modern nurse ratchet, cold, clinical, and regurgitating pseudoscientific psychobabble. That's just such a good analysis. Uh, she goes on to say this. The fact that Holly addressed the audience as if they were PTSD survivors, rather than viewers motivated by morbid curiosity, schadenfreude, and a voyeuristic desire to see a celebrity crash and burn, shows how common therapy speak has become. You don't need to spend long on Twitter or TikTok to find discussions about setting boundaries, healing your inner child, codependent relationships, different attachment styles, and being triggered. Are you okay? Well, we'll ask that throughout this podcast. I wonder if you can work out what our our next item is. Here's some music. of course, the theme from the Dam Busters. And of course, we are talking about the Nova Kakhovka Dam, uh, the fifth largest in Ukraine, part of the Kharkov region. Now, apart from the just the sadness and the stupidity of, of the war in Ukraine, it's fascinating how this gets reported, because it's reported immediately, Russia blew it up. And plenty of people say, we know it, Russia blew it up. Um, but I'm, I'm puzzled by that. On the other hand, it's also reported, Ukraine blew it up. Or some people will say, we know Ukraine blew it up. Well, no, we don't know. We don't know. And we need to learn to ask questions. I was reading some various things, and one military expert was saying blowing the dam would not give Russia any significant military advantages and would jeopardize water supplies to Russian-controlled areas to the extent of its russia blowing its own foot off. See, here's the thing that puzzles me, and I'm sure some of the listeners here are much more educated than I am on this, but the dam provided water for the North Crimean Canal, which is the source of around 85% of Crimea's water. Now, Ukraine had blocked the canal in 2014. Uh, It was reopened by Russian forces in the early weeks of the war. Some people claim that Crimea, that Russia actually went to war to help restore that water. Russia had rather extravagantly accused Ukraine of genocide for blocking the canal. It does, it just seems strange. Um, That canal can no longer be operated and the water level in the reservoir, in the 
Kakovsky Reservoir is dropping rapidly, so much so that uh, Russian areas are going to struggle with drought. Now, it's possible, of course. Possible it could be a false flag operation, possible that Putin really would be that stupid and that vindictive against his own people. Of course it's possible. But it's also just as possible that the dam collapsed because it had been weakened. Uh, <coughs> there's some evidence of that. Although locals say that they heard an explosion. It's also possible that Ukraine blew it up. Remember when we had the, the, the gas pipeline and, oh, this is Russia blew it up. And it's pretty well certain now that Russia didn't blow it up. The point is, we don't know. I can see both things as, as being possible because war is horrific. And when we, you think about the contrast there between a TV presenter asking people who are watching this program if they're okay because one of the presenters has had to leave and then you think of what the Ukrainian people and uh, the, the Russian people, at least in the Russian areas, are going through, of, of Ukraine are going through, there's just no comparison, is there? All right, here's another fascinating thing in terms of how things are reported. Um, this is Roger Waters. educated, intelligent people. You must know who Roger Waters is. Uh, Pink Floyd. Now, he that was a clip from something that he did, a live show that he's been doing for a couple of decades on Pink Floyd's The Wall, and it's a reimagining of that album. Now, he often appears in that in a long black coat and with symbols on his arm. I think it's two hammers. And recently there's been a fuss about him, and I find this quite interesting. So Michael Gove and Sir Keir Starmer have criticised Roger Waters, um, claiming he's anti-Semitic and he's sharing his anti-Semitic views at his concerts. Um, the Labour leader said his party fully condemns Waters for having clearly espoused anti-Semitic views. Labour MP Christian Wakefield has voiced concerns over Waters' gig at the AO Arena in Manchester and said it should not go ahead. I think it's due to go ahead right now, this week. The star of David on a giant pig, the name of Jewish diarist Anne Frank, and an SS soldier outfit had been among features of Waters' recent show in Germany. 
Now, this is all fascinating, and you hear that. But then, and I was brought up in the House of Commons. But then I watched this on Double Down News. And Double Down News, by the way, is a, uh, is a left-wing thing. Um, I don't... When I play things on here, or when I quote people, it's not an endorsement of, it, of everything that comes from them. But this was fascinating. This was an interview with uh, Waters. The narrative that I'm an anti-Semite and that I'm promoting fascism by wearing a leather coat and that I'm heavy symbols, which are crossed hammers, by the way, not swastikas or anything that is literally Nazi, Third Reich, German. 40 years I've been doing, 40 years. Every single year almost between 1980 and now, I've been doing bits of that show. Why now? Why suddenly now would people be picking up and going, he's wearing a replica of a Nazi uniform on stage. He's obviously glorifying the Third Reich and Nazism. He's doing that as part of his general attitude, which is that he hates Jewish people. All over, all the press in the Western world, everything. Roger Waters, anti-Semite glorifying Nazism, wearing a thing. Okay, well, if we could deconstruct that little bit. In my piece, The Wall, at the end of the fascist bit, in the film, it's Bob Geldof, when he's the fascist leader, he's singing all this stuff, which I wrote, about who they are, the forces of evil. And they're in the song, Waiting for the Worms. They're waiting to take over the world, waiting to cut out the deadwood. Pink internally realizes that he's made a terrible mistake by wanting to become a powerful demagogue and rule the world. That's why he tries himself in the trial. He tries himself for having become a Nazi. So how you can transmogrify this work of theater into me glorifying the Third Reich and Nazism beggars belief. Don't get me wrong. I may be shouting and I may seem powerful and whatever, but I'm still really upset. I can't believe that they're trying to do this to me. Now, here's the issue. Waters has been dressing and doing that. It's a, the, the wall movie, if you've ever seen it. Yes, it is about a guy who is fascistic or authoritarian or communist tendencies who comes to regret it. In other words, it's theater. He doesn't have Nazi symbols. Uh, what about the Anne Frank thing? Well, everywhere Waters goes and does his concert, he puts up the picture of a dead person who's been killed by the authorities. You know, so he would put George Floyd in some American cities, for example. That's, that's what he does. And Anne Frank was an example. He wasn't condoning Anne Frank. And as for the, the Jewish star, well, he had a cross, he had other symbols on that. That's part of what he's done for a long, long, long time. Now, I personally don't agree with Waters he, in, in the sense of he criticizes Israel, and he may be, in fact, he is right to do that in terms of Palestine and the Palestinians. But he goes way too far. Um, but that doesn't make him anti-Semitic. That's really the point. And... You know, I would almost want to say to him, are you okay? Because he actually, in the videos, in the interview, was quite emotional and said it's, you know, his father fought in the Second World War um, against the Nazis. I think was killed at Anzio, actually. I, you know, it's incredible. 
that people just pick up on a narrative and and condemn. Now, it may be that because he's a Corbyn supporter, he's a totally dreadful person. Maybe because he's against the war in Ukraine, he's a totally dreadful person. I don't know. But just going around calling people Nazis, that's not a good way to go. All right, here's another story. Um, schools, Utah primary schools. A school district in the U.S. state of Utah has removed the Bible from elementary and middle schools for containing vulgarity and violence. Why well, it does. So does Shakespeare. So does Dostoevsky. So do many others. It's, yeah. One person said, can you believe this? That the King James Bible has no serious values for minors because it's pornographic by our new definition. Meanwhile, back in Scotland, the new religion is... Uh, <laughs> Continuing on, Glasgow Greens have secured a commitment to roll out training on creating trans-inclusive classrooms and tackling transphobic bullying. Meanwhile, Douglas Murray of the Scottish Tories has got himself in trouble for suggesting that Murray's first drag queen storytelling time in Elgin Library as, uh, in Pride Month is not appropriate. It's not appropriate to have a drag queen. Well, of course it's not appropriate. Why have people gone for this. You know, somebody suggested to me, to me, well, you just don't want children to be taught to read. I love children to be taught to read. I don't think they should be taught to read by a sexualized adult performance, which is in effect little more than grooming. And as we say, it's a new religion. So the new religion gets played out on most of our mainstream media. Here, for example, is a clip from the BBC Casualty series. I finally got the date for my top surgery. What? Yeah. Wow, that's... Uh, how are you feeling about it? How's you feeling what about what? Can I? Yeah. Sarah got the date for the top surgery. And before you say anything, I know a double mastectomy is not to be taken lightly. I didn't say anything. Well, for now, at least, I'm just happy that'll finally look like the person I feel like on the inside. It's been a long time coming. If you're sure that's what you want? Yeah, it really is. Then I'm pleased for you. Really? Right. I'm going to stick kettle on. Celebration. 3019. And yet the universe had other plans. Off you go, kiddie-winkies. I, I saw that. I thought, this cannot be real. This must be a spoof. But it is real. Look at, like, I want to look like the person I feel on the inside. Are you sure that's what you want? Yeah. We're talking about somebody having a double mastectomy. This is the BBC, through the media of soap opera, normalising girls chopping off their breasts so that they can look like who they feel like. The evil of that is astounding. Meanwhile, Oxfam... You know, this new religion that's, that's come in. But, you know, see, it's all about feelings. You feel okay. Well, you've, you know, mutilate your body so that you feel okay. On the other hand, you cannot work in a charity like Oxfam if there are people beside you who you consider to be transphobic. That's what happened with uh, somebody called Maria and her story. I put a link 
uh, to her story from again from unheard. But Oxfam did something extraordinary. I, I, I actually thought this cannot be real, but it is real. They produced a video, uh, a month, uh, a one-minute cartoon, which portrays J.K. Rowling as a turf, as a um, like a one of these people who hates. I mean, it's it's like the kind of cartoons that Goebbels used to produce about the Jews. It's extraordinary that Oxfam have done that, stirring up hatred. Anyway, there's a bit of good news on this front. Last week, the Norwegian Health Care Investigation Board announced it's going to be revising its guidelines concerning so-called gender-affirming care, i.e. the mutilation we were talking about, because it no longer considers them to be evidence-based. So the use of puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, transition-related surgery surgery would be restricted to research contexts and no longer provided in clinical settings. Norway, Finland, Sweden, the United Kingdom as well as going that route. Eight states in the United States have done that. But this is considered to be a great threat. Just wow. And that all this is tied in with the new education. I listened to a program on BBC's Moral Maze discussing Kathleen Stock. And Kathleen Stock is a professor who questioned the trans thing. She's a, a, a lesbian feminist. And students at Oxford are to be, were, were asked, are you okay? Are you okay? Even having this person anywhere near us. Stuart Wayton from uh, Scotland, uh, a lecturer in Scotland, uh, sent me this amazing thing from the Scottish universities. This is not on the, on the trans thing. But Scottish university campuses are now, uh, well, basically, white people are split into four categories. At one end is white supremacy and then indifference and so on. And what's being proposed, which is really quite astounding, is that if you are for freedom of speech and tolerance, then you may not be a white supremacist, but you're really around that area. Wow. That really is extraordinary. Now here's Richard Dawkins. Um, it's, it's amazing how, many, how much I've come to agree with Richard Dawkins now. And here he is in an amazing interview, again um, given on Unheard. I have noticed that certainly some of the leading scientific journals have capitulated to political pressure to become unscientific and to betray um, what is an obvious, for example, obvious scientific dichotomy between male and female um, seems to have been uh, betrayed for political reasons by people who ought to know better in editorial positions uh, uh, in, in leading scientific journals. And th that, I think, is true. I mean, even there was an, a, a different controversy around Nature magazine yes. who has become a kind of leading proponent of trying to correct for racial injustices of the past in a way that seems to almost depart from normal forensic science. They, they seem to be animated by what would normally be a political agenda rather than a purely inquisitive one. Well, I believe you. That, that sounds plausible to me, yes. Certainly, I, th I think that um, there's, a, there's a sort of um, analogue of original sin in, in, in that 
uh, white people are expected to feel guilt for what, what maybe their ancestors or maybe not their ancestors, but just people of the same color. And, and it's as though um, we are supposed to inherit the guilt of people of the past just because we have the same color skin as they did. Um, and that is, uh, I think, racism. It is actual racism to, to, to confer guilt upon people because of the color of their skin. Now again, that's to do with racism. Um, Frank Faridi uh, has warned that, or he's written a, an excellent article about Orwell's concept. In, in 1984, Winston Smith is told by a colleague in the rec records department of the Ministry of Truth, by 2050, er, earlier probably, all real knowledge of old speak, that is standard English, will have disappeared. This is Orwell writing. The whole literature of the past will have been destroyed. Chaucer, Shakespeare, Milton, Byron, they'll exist only in new speak versions, not merely changed into something different, but actually changed into something contradictory of what they used to be. And that's what's happening. Numerous scholars now say Chaucer, the father of English poetry, is a rapist, racist and anti-Semite. The University of Leicester announced that Chaucer would be removed from the English curriculum and along with other problematic poets, he'll be replaced with courses on race, ethnicity, sexuality and diversity. Shakespeare will be going soon. A Midsummer Night Dream displays problematic gendered and racialized dynamics. John Milton, a great advocate for free speech, has been called an apologist for slavery. And Lord Byron, despite his reputation for being an opponent of slavery, is challenged because he in insistently privileges the purity and beauty of white bodies. Yep, where's, where, you know, if I, I want to say to all our lecturers and so on, are, are you okay? Are you okay? Oxford has just appointed the first endowed professor of LGBT history. And Cambridge, oh, you've got you to gotta read, I read some of this paper, it was just extraordinary. Um, Cambridge, I've actually got a, a serious paper in an archaeological journal saying that, um, uh, talking about the number of prehistoric non-binary people. And it's all based entirely on the fact that they say we use the term sex and the adjectives male and female for biological sex and gender for hypothetical identities determined based on so on. And both are mere classification criteria. In fact, we want to they say they want to classify sex and gender separately. And they even state this, biological sex is as much socially constructed as gender is. Folks, these are our intelligent people. These are our educated people. And they're as thick as two short planks. Sorry. All right. Um, maybe they're the kind of people who shouldn't get to Parliament. Well, here's a, an amazing story. Listen to this. Well, it's two things, really. It's a reaction to some of the you know, egregious... Uh, selections in the run-up to both the 2017 and 2019 uh, general elections, and that they shall remain nameless, but we know who those people are. <laughs> uh, some of them are now sitting as independents rather than Conservative MPs. Um, but it's also this drive to um, what one might call it a drive for political correctness, woke. One hears anecdotal stories of women coming before the selection uh, committees at central office and saying yes I work in a food bank and they say fantastic at my local church and they say 
well, really, at your local church? Are you a Christian evangelist nut, nutcase? We're not sure you're the right person to be a Conservative MP. And this is a party once called the uh, Church of England. Uh, uh, the Conservative Party was the Church of England Prayer. So I think there is a drive for a more social, still more socially liberal, more economically liberal folk and people who are, you know, one of us, our kind of people. That's on the Spectator's Coffee House Shots programme. Uh, just here's a man, a conservative politician, saying that conservative associations were prepared to exclude people who might be Christians. Wow. Because they want to be seen socially progressive. See, it's not just the left wing who have been taken in this, it's the right wing as well. It's crazy. All right, let me do a couple of other things before we go. Abortion in the US. Um, This is actually good news. It's really good news. It's reckoned that more than 32,000 babies have been saved from abortion since June 2022. That's 32,000 lives saved. There's been a significant fall in the national abortion rate from 13.2 per 1,000 women to 12.3 per 1,000 women. That's good news. And then, well, speaking of news, use your phone. Here's Blondie. I'm in the bumble, it's the one across the hall. This is an amazing story, you know. Are you okay? I mean, if you're, we, people get so attached to their phones. Um, and in India, a government official has been suspended after he ordered a reservoir to be drained to retrieve his phone. It took three days to pump millions of litres of water out of the dam after Rajesh Vishwas dropped the device while taking a selfie. And then the phone was too waterlogged to work by the time he found it. He said he needed to retrieve it because it claims sensitive government data. But the phone about worth about $1,200 uh, was dropped into the dam. Uh, local divers couldn't find it, so he paid for a diesel pump to be bought in and pumped it dry. Two million litres pumped dry. He's been suspended. And I'm going to do something over the next four weeks from uh, the BBC, I have a, a, the 100 Greatest Children's Books. I'm going to do the top 20, just comment on them. Um, this is one that's in the, we're looking at the 16 to 20. Uh, you'll soon work out what this one is. What do those girls do over there all day? Over the mysteries of female life, there is drawn a veil, best left undisturbed. Hark ye, revenge is mine, quoth he. You ought to publish it, Joe, really. Columbia Pictures invites you to share the holidays with a family of little women. Joe. If I were going to be a writer, I'd go to New York and pursue the stage. Are you shocked? Very. 
Meg. What's that strange smell? That is Little Women, number 17. Great book. Um, the others are number 16, The Arrival, Sean Tan from 2006. Number 18, Roland Dahl, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's good to see him in there. Um, Heidi from Johanna Spiri from 1880. It's an Alpine classic. Um, I haven't actually read that one. And Goodnight Moon, which is a picture book um, from 1947. Now, these books were voted not by children and so on, but by childhood experts. But it's a fascinating list. And uh, yeah, I the one, Little Women, that's the only one I've read of those. I think I've read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as well. But uh, I, Little Women is just an absolutely brilliant book. Love it. All right, speaking of loving things, I am going to go, but... Uh, it's good when you contact me and Andrew contacted me about prog rock and said, was I into prog rock? Well, I'd love to play you a bit of prog rock, but it'll like, take an hour and a half. But here's the intro from something. a lot of prog rock I, I, I really like and actually I could listen to this. There's a guy called Neil Morse. Um, he's, that's a thing called Sola Scriptura and it's his, he's a Christian and it's his, basically, it's an album he's done on Martin Luther. Uh, I think it's absolutely brilliant so thank you Andrew for sending me that. And listen, I'm going to go and I, but I'm going to leave you with Neil Morse. Um, because he's got another one, his uh, favorite chord is Jesus. Uh, it's a, I, I really like this as a, as a song. And you know, the Are You Okay? It's a, the, the reason it's kind of mocking at the beginning is because of the way it was being asked. But it is really important to ask if we're okay, but how will we be okay? Not through television presenters and kind of fake stuff that goes on all the time. But we are made okay through Christ. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We come to King Jesus. This is about King Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you want to support us, go to the Podbean fundraiser. If you've got any comments, want to send me any suggestions or news, please feel free to do so. Thanks to Peter for producing this. And uh, God willing, hopefully see you next week. Bye. You want so
Jesus has come to take you home. Child 